This audio presentation is brought to you by the Baptist Missionary Association Theological Seminary. The BMA Seminary provides accredited theological education for equipping God's people for Christ-centered service and leadership roles with three online degrees available now. We are committed to the inerrancy and authority of Holy Scripture and to making disciples of Jesus Christ. For more information about the BMA Seminary and its online degree programs, go to bmats.edu or call toll-free 800-259-5673. That's 800-259-5673. Take the scriptures and open them once more to, to Matthew, to Matthew chapter 3. And let's look at these three instances when the heavenly voice uh, rang out once more before we get started this afternoon. The first, of course, is at Jesus' baptism. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John. To be baptized by him, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And it seems to me it's very clear that the Lord begins almost immediately a ministry that is designed to show us that the Old Testament Levitical priesthood was, uh, was incomplete, was a, a thing that was instituted by God. It was a glorious thing in that regard, but the Lord Jesus Christ had come to be one greater than Moses, and the Lord Jesus Christ had certainly come to be one greater than the Old Testament Levitical priest. He began... At that point, a ministry, the Old Testament priest was to confirm healing. The Lord Jesus Christ actually healed people. The Old Testament priest was to be a teacher of the law of God. He was to instruct people in the ways of the Lord. And the Lord Jesus Christ began to uh, give exposition of the righteous standard of God, of the law, of the, of the moral law, and and the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, ultimately would go to the cross of Calvary and as our great high priest would offer himself as the perfect sacrifice for sin. So there was that time when the heavenly voice of confirmation came. Now, uh, let's, do it, let's do it a little different right now. Let's just go to John chapter 12 for a moment. And look at that one once again. Let me set the context of that one. Verse 12 of John 12 says, The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Obviously, now the emphasis is on Christ establishing his kingdom in all of its fullness by his death and by his resurrection from the dead. Look at verse 27 of John chapter 12. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Shall I pray, Father, save me from this? He says, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there heard it uh, said that it thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake. Not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. We'll come back to that, God willing, Thursday morning. But now look back with me at Luke, at Luke chapter 9, the account of the transfiguration in the Gospel of Luke. And I chose Luke for a particular reason because Luke lets us know specifically about what Moses and Elijah and the Lord Jesus Christ were uh, discussing, were talking about on the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 28. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Now, that's reading a good bit of Scripture. But I don't mind reading Scripture, and I hope you don't. Uh, In our church on Sunday, we have an Old Testament reading. And we have a New Testament reading because you remember that, uh, that Timothy was told, give attention to the reading of the word until I come. And I think it's so very important for us to read the word of God in public gatherings of, of uh, believers. Very important for us to do that. But, but in, on this case, what I'm trying to show you is that there is an emphasis that seems to attach itself to each of these times that the heavenly voice of confirmation rang out. The first, a priestly ministry that begins to follow. And, of course, all of these lead to the cross. All of these 
culminate at the cross. The Lord Jesus Christ begins this priestly ministry. It will, it will come to the cross where he offers himself as a perfect sacrifice for sinners. The Lord Jesus Christ, as the great prophet of God, speaking the truth of God, will speak the greatest word when he dies on the cross of Calvary and when he's raised from the dead on the third day. And I will say, God willing, Thursday morning that the Lord Jesus Christ will establish the the kingdom in power by his death and by his resurrection from the dead. But what is this? Uh, uh, let's let's use a let's use a let's use a dandy term. Th- this is just what you need to do on Sunday in churches. You need to say uh, eschatological fulfillment. They'll love that, won't they? You know, eschatological fulfillment. Well, you know what I'm talking about. In time. Fulfillment, end time, but not the end time from our perspective, but the end time from the Old Testament perspective. You remember that. Uh, you remember that that the Lord Jesus Christ, after he was raised from the dead, was walking along the, the road to Emmaus. He does not reveal himself to those disciples at first. And uh, they have a conversation, and eventually the Lord Jesus Christ explains to them how everything uh, about him, and particularly about the necessity of the Messiah coming and dying and the gospel being preached to all the nations, that all of this is fulfilled in him, and it's the fulfillment of Old Testament expectation, things that could be found in the scriptures as they knew them at that time. A little bit later on in the upper room, uh, the same thing. But I want you to turn back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 18. And while you're turning there, let me, let me just tell you a little story about something that happened to me one time. Uh, I think it's very important for people to ask some very basic questions sometime. And most of these questions, the answers to most of these questions, focus in on two uh, two questions. Who is the Lord Jesus Christ, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ? And then the second one, what did he do? The work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can spend all kinds of time talking about uh, the coming football game on the weekend with people and trying to develop a relationship with people and so on. But what people really need to be confronted with is those two questions. And actually, we don't really need to get into arguments with people about all kinds of secondary and tertiary things, but we need to try to focus in on who is the Lord Jesus Christ and what did the Lord Jesus Christ come to do. Years ago, years ago, well, let me tell, let me, before, let me tell you another. I love to tell stories. Let me tell you another story before I tell you that one. Um, I was asked to participate in what some people call an ordination council. I grew up calling it a presbytery, but at any rate, I was asked to do it on seminary campus where I was teaching. I did not know the young man who was supposed to be examined, and then he was, had been called to a church and so on. But I, I went, and I sat, and I listened to people ask all kinds of questions like, are you a loyal Baptist? Um, 
you know, all kinds of things that didn't seem to have much substance to them uh, as it relates to the Word of God. And so finally somebody said, uh, uh, Joe, would you, would you like to ask a question? And I said, I would. And so I looked at the young man and I said, can you tell me, sir, what is the gospel? And he looked at me like a deer caught in the headlights. Could you not? And he said, now this is someone about to graduate from seminary. I said, what is the gospel? And he said, do you mean like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? And I said, well, those are gospels and they're called gospels because they contain the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, he could have, he could have, um, he could easily have just called my attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, couldn't he? You know? Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. I think what Paul means by believing in vain is not a quality of faith, but I think what he's saying, later on he says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. I think he's saying, if the Lord Jesus Christ wasn't raised from the dead, then our faith is vain unless you believe in vain. He's going to take that up a little bit later. But first he says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. How, what was that? Secondary importance? Tertiary importance? No, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers. You know the rest of the passage there, the various appearances, and, and Paul's comment about himself. But he says, he says, the thing of first importance is that Christ died and that Christ was buried, and that Christ was raised from the dead on the third day, if you do not preach the historicity of the gospel, you're not preaching the gospel. You've got to preach Christ, and that means preaching the events, not just telling people things that relate to uh, other things in the Bible, but saying the most important thing that ever happened in the history of the world was the death of Jesus Christ and his subsequent resurrection from the dead. And there are two things I just want to point out about what Paul says here. He says, he says that it was in accordance with the Scriptures, which means that what were the Scriptures? It was the Old Testament, wasn't it? And so what he's saying is that Christ's death and Christ's resurrection, same thing the Lord Jesus Christ said in Luke chapter 24, that his death, his resurrection was anticipated by the Old Testament scriptures. You won't find a specific passage that says it. It's not a quote that the Lord Jesus Christ gives in the room with all the disciples when he appeared among them, but he says that he had to come, he had to die, and that the gospel would be preached to all the nations. Repentance, forgiveness of sins would be preached to all the nations. But the point is this, that, that God was fulfilling eschatological, let's say that, eschatological expectation, end-time expectation, but from the Old Testament 
point of view, you see. All those things anticipated in Old Testament times, and they were fulfilled with the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then the other thing is, for the three little words, for our sins, for our sins. And that's really what we're talking about this week. What I'm trying to talk about this week in these messages is we're talking about Christ as priest, Christ as prophet, Christ as king, and we're giving explication uh, to the, the three little words, for our sins. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 18. Uh, years ago, before most of you were born, but I was around, um, there was a woman named Jean Dixon. Anybody remember Jean Dixon? She claimed to be a prophetess. She wrote some books. She, when, when John Kennedy was assassinated over here in Dallas, she said that she had, uh, she had prophesied that. And uh, she got a lot of notoriety for being a prophet. And uh, she, as I say, she wrote some books. I'm sure she made a lot of money. She went around the country filling coliseums with people who were just fascinated by this whole business that she might be able to tell the future and so on. Now, I want you to look with me at something. Well, uh, let me tell you this. Uh, I was at my mother's house years ago, about that time, and a newspaper came out, and Jean Dixon had made several prophecies. And uh, so I, I looked at them, I kind of read through them, folded the newspaper up, and my mother had a secretary in her living room that I still have in my living room, and I put it up on top of some books and forgot about it, completely forgot about it. I, I went to, into the Army. I went to Vietnam. I came back from Vietnam. I was sitting in my mother's living room one day, and I looked up there, and I saw something lying on top of those books. And I pulled it down, and it was that newspaper. She had prophesied. She had, pro Of course, nobody pays attention to that, but she had prophesied that there would no longer be a two-party system in the United States of America. That would be gone. She had prophesied that a man whose name would begin with S would be the ruler of the Soviet Union. Now, Russia, but the Soviet Union. And she went on and on with these very... You know what? She did not hit one right. But who remembered, you know, at that point? Now, look at Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It's to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They're right in what they've spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. The Lord speaking to Moses. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. 
And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. So you have two things in this passage. A condemnation of supposed prophecy that, and, and this requirement that it has to be perfect, that the prophet has to always tell the truth of God and it always has to come to pass, you see. And then the prophecy of the prophet that God would raise up like unto Moses. Well, turn with me to the Gospel of John, John chapter 1. Gospel of John, John chapter 1. Verse 19, and this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Now you understand Christ is Christos, anointed one, the Messiah. So he's denying that he's making no claim to be the Messiah. I'm not the Christ. And they ask him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. And he wasn't, but the Lord Jesus Christ said he fulfilled the expectation of Elijah's coming. But, but he was telling them the truth. I am not. And then they said, are you the prophet? They're talking about Deuteronomy chapter 18. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, you do understand that that's a quote uh, from Isaiah chapter 40. And that, that quote from Isaiah chapter 40 is found at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, Matthew 3 verses 1 and following. It's found at the very beginning of the Gospel of Mark. It's found in Luke chapter 3. And here it is also in John chapter 1. So it must be an important truth for us to to consider that John was the voice crying in the wilderness and whose way was he preparing? I love to talk to Jehovah's Witnesses about this one. Because if you go back to Isaiah, what is it? Yahweh, Jehovah's coming. You see, prepare the way. Prepare the way. Jehovah is coming. The Lord, small caps in the translations, you know. The Lord, Jehovah, God is coming. So in effect, regardless of exactly how much understanding John the Baptist had of it at this point, what He was being used to prepare the way for the living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to come among us. And that's what John has just said. I'm talking about John, the author of the the gospel. That's what he's just said. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. And then verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. But the point is that as I preach to you today about the priestly work of the Lord Jesus Christ, and as I preach to you today about the prophetic work of the Lord Jesus Christ, and God willing, Thursday morning, about the the kingly work 
of the Lord Jesus Christ, we must understand that we are talking about nothing less than the true and living God has come among us and done these things. I was teaching years ago and had an older student with probably not the best background. And I'd spent an hour talking about the person of Christ, the deity of Christ that day. And uh, got to the end, he raised his hand. He said, look, I can understand this about Jesus being the son of God. But he said, "I, I don't know about this, about him being God. And so the next day I just backed up and started all over Again, but it's important for us to realize that our God, our Creator, has come among us and done something so extraordinary, something that He was under no obligation to do, that these things were done for undeserving sinners like you and me by God of such love, of such mercy. It's just beyond our understanding. But the prophet was anticipated. The Lord spoke to Moses, said, one day I'm going to raise up this prophet. And as the Lord Jesus Christ fulfills that expectation of a priest after the order of Melchizedek, and as the Lord Jesus Christ fulfills the expectation of the one who will come as the true descendant of David, as the way that Paul frames it in Romans chapter 1, the first few verses, the, the, the rightful king, the rightful heir of David's throne. So the Lord Jesus Christ comes, and he comes as the true prophet of God. Now, what will he do? Let's go back to Luke again. Let's go back to Luke chapter 9 and verse 28 and following again. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, two prophets of God. And they're talking with him, you say. It says, who appeared in glory... And spoke of his departure, the Greek, of course, is exodine. What does that sound like? What did Moses do? Moses led an exodus, didn't he, out of Egyptian bondage. Moses was greatly used by the Lord. Moses was an extraordinary figure. Moses was revered by the Israelites. Moses was revered, and rightly so, yet Moses was a very flawed man who had only, though it was glorious by the grace of God, had led a people out of national bondage, out of, out of bondage to the Egyptians, and constituted them a separate nation in Sinai, uh, and making the Lord making them his people. Moses had been used by the Lord to do that. Now the Lord Jesus Christ is appearing in glory, talking with Moses and talking with Elijah, these two great prophets, about his exodus, which he is about to accomplish at Jerusalem. What's he going to do at Jerusalem? Mark's really good on this. Mark's gospel. He sets his face toward Jerusalem. He's going there. It's his purpose to come and die on the cross. And so 
the Lord Jesus Christ is talking with them about his exodus, which he's going to... I don't think it... You know, the translations differ. If I remember right, 1611 translation gives it his decease, which he would uh, accomplish at Jerusalem. ESV departure, there are probably some other words. But again, the word is exodine. It is his exodus which he's going to accomplish at Jerusalem. And I think we need to understand that as Moses was used by the Lord to lead a people out of Egyptian bondage, so now the Lord Jesus Christ is going to lead a people out of bondage to sin and death and hell. And how's he going to do it? By dying in their place on the cross of Calvary. So you see that, again, as he's the priest who offers the perfect sacrifice for sins, and he's that sacrifice, he is the prophet who speaks the true word of God, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He is the truth spoken. He is the the one who speaks the word. He is the word spoken. But he speaks that word all throughout his life among us to be sure. But ultimately what we're talking about is Christ being lifted up in agony on the cross of Calvary. What we're talking about is the Lord Jesus Christ shedding his precious blood. What we're talking about is the Lord Jesus Christ dying in the place of undeserving sinners like me and like you. Licentious people who at times have been absolutely rebellious against the holy God who created us. And that's what he came to do. And that's what he accomplished. And when he died on the cross, that was the word spoken. God is gracious. God is a loving God, a merciful God. Who, who will come and die in the place of his people who never deserved it at all in any way. So he speaks the word, and he is the word spoken. Well, let's look at Second Peter chapter 1. Look at what Peter, uh, Peter was there that day. Remember, he got all excited about building a tabernacle or putting up a tent, you know, that sort of thing on the Mount of Transfiguration. Well, later on, Peter would say this. Second Peter, chapter 1, verse 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them, and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my, guess what the word is there, exodine, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Did Peter have that in his memory? Uh, Verse 16, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. 
For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have something more sure, the prophetic word, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, I need to move along. Turn back just a page or two in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. As I said this morning, we become priests. We have sacrifices to offer. Well, we have a prophetic ministry that we receive from our Lord Jesus Christ that we're called to, to, to fulfill. just want to say three things, really that we are to, to declare certain things about God. We're to live prophetically by abstaining. There's a negative side of this, by abstaining from evil deeds. And we're to prophesy by servant living, what I sometimes call cruciform living, imitating uh, the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. But let's look at First Peter chapter 2. Verse 9, we are to declare certain things about God, but you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that is a nation separated from the other nations, a people from his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Uh, the quote from Hosea, Paul does the same thing that Peter does in quoting Hosea and applying it to the Gentiles being brought in. But once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. But he says that we are to declare certain things about the Lord. We are to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I was telling somebody earlier today about my maternal grandfather. I'm so grateful. I, I had friends when I was in high school that had a friend who became a Baptist preacher. But, oh, he had terrible family situation with his mother and, you know, stepfather and so on. I, I had very different, something very different. But I'm particularly grateful for maternal grandfather who loved the Lord, planted crops. He was a farmer. Uh, if he could make a bale of cotton to get some cash years ago, you know, to raise his family way back in the early 20th century, that, that's what he did. And, and, uh, but you know what? When he died, and, and he didn't do it for this reason, I'm sure, but when he died, tons of people 
of every hue, you know. Uh, the kingdom is every race and tribe and nation, and, and they were all coming that day. You know why? Because he just didn't meet people unless he asked them something about their relationship to the Lord. Are you sure you know the Lord? Are you sure you know the Lord? You see. Listen, let's, let's, it, it's glorious. It's glorious to think about the doctrine of the Trinity. I like the doctrine of the Trinity. Some people get all upset about it, but I love it. But it's glorious to think about things like that, you know. But let's not forget that first and foremost, we are called to declare the glories of God revealed in Jesus to a lost and dying world. And, and we're to do our best. Some of us are be- a lot better than others. I, I, there are a lot of people, uh, better witnesses than I am. I, I was in uh, Russia years ago, and, and there was a guy, he just constantly passing out tracks, you know, to people. And some, sometimes the brusque policeman would say, no, no, yet, 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 you know. But, but that's what we're called to do first and foremost. We need to talk to people about the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're going to do that sensibly, we need to know something about the Lord Jesus Christ, don't we? You know? We need to be able to talk, to explain to people why it is so important to understand that they need to put their faith in him, they need to depend on Christ and Christ alone, plus nothing. And in order to do that, we need to, we need to study to show ourselves approved, and then we need to, as prophets of God, proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his light. Uh, this really begins with baptism, you know. We forget this a lot of times, that, that baptism is the individual's public profession of faith. We say, somebody walks down an aisle and we say, he made a profession of faith. But really, baptism, biblically, is the public profession of faith. Because in being baptized, you're saying, I believe Jesus died for me. I'm trusting in him, depending on him. I believe he was buried. I believe he's a living Savior raised from the dead. I believe this about Jesus the Christ. Just like the Lord's Supper is the corporate profession of faith. You see, for the church gathered together, proclaiming again the de- his death and resurrection. But, but we are to proclaim things beginning with baptism Going on, God willing, to verbal proclamation as much as we are able. We're not all the same. The Lord has given us different gifts, but we are to to declare certain things about God. And then uh, we're to live prophetically by abstaining from evil deeds. Again, First Peter chapter two, uh, verse eleven and following. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is really, I think, like a parallel in Paul's epistles. You know how in Colossians, in Colossians, Paul he starts with the things that we are not to do because we're united with Christ in his cross and the things that we should die to because we're united with Christ in the power of his death on the cross. And then he goes on to say, you put on, you put on Christ, the, the, there's a power of his resurrection. And those are the things that we should do. It's something similar here with, uh, with the apostle Peter. He says, he says just 
Abstain from the passions of the flesh. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And then in verse 13 of 1 Peter chapter 2, we are to prophesy by servant living, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor or supreme or governors is sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Now, how can we do that? We do that the same way that we came to the Lord Jesus Christ. We came to him depending upon him to take our sins away. That's faith. Is entrusting ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are to continue doing that, to say no to sin and yes to righteousness until that day.